Dying for the O'Brien and NBA podcast. I'm your host, Brent Vassbinder, joined here as always with Quentin Cools. And Quinn, boy, oh boy, do we have a big episode in front of us. The winds of change have come to the NBA like they do every year for the trade deadline. And teams have been making some big moves to upgrade their roster. Or in some teams like Danny Ainge and the Jazz, looking to position themselves well for the long road of a rebuild here. Let's get to the teams here looking to make the loudest noise as the pressure to contend comes upon them. And starting here at the top, we have the Dallas Mavericks finally trying to go out and get Luka some help, of course. You know, they tried the Spencer Didwitty experiment um, in 2022, 2023 season. That was a disaster. They ended up letting Jalen Brunson walk away in free agency to New York, um, needing to get Luka in some elite help. And they have brought in, at the very least, help. And that's PJ Washington <laughs> from the Charlotte Hornets and... Um, Daniel Gafford, um, the center from D.C., um, what did it cost them? They ended up shipping out Grant Williams and Seth Curry to go to Charlotte in that P.J. Washington deal, right? Grant Williams was their big offseason acquisition in the summer, and he is gone after half a season, um, as well as Seth Curry, who's getting passed around um, a lot these days, sadly. Um, so fascinating to see the Mavs so active here. Of course, Luca. I think at this point, it's trying to convince him to stay long-term with the franchise here. And so they've already been to the conference finals, even though, you know, they got demolished two years ago. Um, and so here we see the Mavs making some big moves. Quinn, did it surprise you, I guess, maybe just like the, not the mediocrity, because, I mean, Gafford and, and P.J. Washington are, are solid players who are going to help them in, win now. But did it surprise you, like, the moves that the Mavs ended up making? I think unless, um, unless there was a, a player out there that's kind of fringe all-star level. Um, I think they made the kind of marginal improvements that they could. Um, you know, it, it's super fun to be on a podcast talking about um, change to the NBA rosters, you know, at the trade deadline. But admittedly, compared to, you know, five, 10 years ago, this trade deadline and recent trade deadlines, honestly, have not really proven to be uh, all that significant in terms of, uh, kind of pieces that are really moving the needle. And so when I look at a, a PJ Washington, I, I pulled up his stats before our, 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 our time on the podcast and was just kind of thinking like, okay, he's kind of been the same guy year after year. And so on the, on the one hand, that's good. That's consistent. But on the other hand, it's, it's not like he's going to turn into anything much better. Like he's been in the, in the league for five years and he kind of is who he is. Um, now Gafford's the kind of guy, um, where you can, you can get these kind of Hartenstein type centers who are going to just be a really good backup, you know, kind of a Nas Reed or whatever. And, and if you can get a guy like that to be, you know, on your roster as your, you know, maybe eighth, ninth guy on the team, I think that's great. So I, I like the move. I think Grant Williams ended up not being a good fit for them. Um, the thing that bothers me with the Mavericks is that, you know, you're having a, a normal Kyrie season, or maybe it's abnormal for him, right? Where he's, he's behaving well, he's not saying crazy things right now. Um, but even with like a, like a, a superstar, I think Kyrie's a superstar. I realize he didn't make the all-star team this year in a loaded uh, Western conference, but you know, he's a superstar and Luca is, you know, you know, top three Uber elite superstar. 
and and yet they're still just in this conversation for a play in in the tournament and that that to me is uh bewildering um because you know i don't i don't think it's just the pieces like i think there's ways sure of constructing the roster to better fit around luca but the question i have is really you know is is luca the kind of guy who's who's going to you know lead a team that you know leads toward winning basketball and obviously they made one conference finals run um let's see if they can do it again I think that's an excellent point, Quinn. Obviously, we're not in the Mavericks locker room, right? Um, but when I look at this roster, obviously, it's like this is an excellent, you know, starting five. You know, when you have a hopefully healthy Luca, Kyrie, PJ Washington now as a forward, probably Gafford at the five, slotting maybe Kleba back to now getting to go back to his usual spot at the four. And Derek Jones Jr. obviously has done good work at the the forward position for them as well. It's like this is a solid roster. I guess, you know, the question, like you said, is who's the captain of the ship? Because Luca has shown willingness to exercise individual excellence like we've never seen you know he's clearly you know a generational talent you know like you know potentially like kobe-esque i think generational talent you know rest in peace but you know i think you just you know you see you watch the games and i think you see some of the immaturity that just comes from you know he's he's been playing professional basketball since he was 16 he's just kind of grown up in the, the basketball scene and i think one of the biggest things the mavs need to be building in is if Luke is going to be this good, he needs to exercise a heavy level of leadership. I think that's what I've loved about the Pelicans is they they know that Zion isn't providing that. So they brought in CJ McCollum, who is that to a T. And so the Pelicans have seen a huge resurgence this year, pairing their all-star talent in Zion Williamson with maybe less than an all-star talent, but also really good talent, but more importantly with maturity and leadership that CJ McCollum provides. And so I think if you're the Mavs here, you've got to get that in the locker room here because this is a fine starting five. But when you're trying to get back to the conference finals here, it's going to take some more leadership on the team. Moving down to another team that had a pretty significant addition, if you think about what he offers to a team, and that was the 76ers went out um, and basically almost for free, I think it was like a second round pick basically, got Buddy Heald, um, the much talked about um, tradable piece from the Pacers at the deadline. Um, Buddy Heald, of course, one of the best shooters that was available for any team to get, especially three-point percentage-wise, um, to add to their team. So really excited for the Sixers here to, to have that kind of shooting prowess. I'm um, just really interesting here, you know, now looking at the the Sixers, who obviously are in full-on championship hunting mode. They've been that way for years, as well-documented on the pod. They've yet to get out of the second round. Um, sadly, Embiid has come down with a, a tear down in his leg, um, that's going to happen sideline for extended time. He's looking at potentially eight weeks, maybe plus eight weeks. You never know with the injury reporting these days in the league here. And so it'd be interesting to see what kind of record Embiid comes back to because he's been playing at an MVP level. And now they've got this, this great shooter and Buddy Heald who knows how to contribute immediately here. And it just, it just feels like another season where the process is just going to have to roll along again with like a first round or second round exit again. Um, just not having this momentum. Um, you want going into the playoffs here, which is just such a bummer if you're Embiid and you're just wondering, it's like, what's when's when's it's his time? Yeah, and that and that's that's really more the story here, right? It's not so much the Buddy Hield signing. I'll, I'll mention something about that, but with Embiid, um, you know, even if you know that that prediction of roughly four weeks out, okay, it's four weeks out when you're non weight bearing on your on your knee as a seven footer, and then you know you you very 
you know, you ease back into that very slowly and you don't go full pace. You don't go, you know, five on five drills, you don't, you know, and then, so what, it takes a couple extra weeks before you're actually in an NBA game, it takes you a couple weeks to get into conditioning. Well, at that point, like <laughs> you're a couple months from now and you're already in the playoffs. And so that's kind of best case scenario is that he is, you know, even even back on the court pre-playoffs. Like, I, I don't even know if that's likely at this point. Um, but what I do like about the Buddy Hild, uh signing is that whether it's a this year kind of move where you do have Embiid and you're making your run in the playoffs, um, or if it's just for future years, I mean, that's that's a guy who can can lead the league in three-point percentage. He's the guy who can, you know, be top five, top ten, in uh in 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 number of threes if you give him enough opportunities and he's the kind of guy that is the exact kind of fit for a ball dominant player to play off of so you know for Embiid to be kind of in the post or around you know around the free throw line with the ball and to have a guy like Buddy Hield on the wing um that's that's just phenomenal i think uh roster management so i'm i'm a big fan and uh, i'm happy they got him without having to give up much in draft capital either yeah like you said i think the dream situation you know is to surround Embiid with shooters because you know he's going to draw people at his caliber of play every time he drives into the paint and so having guys to kick out to is so crucial and i think you think about who's the gm of the sixers quinn and it's daryl morey who we know is obsessed with the shooter lineup um, as he constructed a Rockets team um, with James Harden, where it was just basically all shooters, and they would just put like PJ Tucker out there as a, a small five, and they had just ha- would have four shooters out there, and they would just be shooting threes all night. And you know, I think you know, without the Chris Paul injury, I think you have the Rockets at the least in the championship, if not winning the championship that year. Um, and so I think it's mm. cool to see Daryl Morey adding somebody who, yeah, like Embiid can kick out to um, when he draws people in the paint. Moving probably to the second biggest team that made acquisitions in free agency, and that is the New York Knicks, who have been hotter than fire on fire recently, as well documented two weeks ago in our podcast here. Um, They went on a crazy win streak. Um, They've lost some games recently, um, but have been able to show that this wasn't some small fluke, um, that Julius Randle is back, that Jalen Brunson is having a well-deserved, potentially, I think, all-star starter-worthy season. And then, of course, OG and Anobi has been excellent for them. And they went out and they got Tom Thibodeau, one of his favorites, back again. That's Alec Burks from the Pistons. But probably the bigger story and somebody who is likely going to see starting lineup minutes, and that's going to be Bogdan Bogdanovich from the Knicks as well here, who's probably was the second best shooter available um, at the deadline. He's you know a few years older than Buddy, um, but he's also shown really excellent shooting abilities here. And so the Knicks, I really like what the Knicks did at the deadline here, adding two guys who are going to see sizable minutes and we're doing really good production on a Pistons team as, you know, well-documented, couldn't, you know, buy a win for all the wings in the world um, on their team. And so really glad to see the Knicks, I don't know, I guess try to, you know, put themselves in a position to have a really competitive season here. Of course, when you got those guys coming in, you're obviously looking at a really short window there, bringing in people, you know, already 32, 33 kind of season here. And of course, it's really crowded now in the East, almost as much as the West, with as hot as the Cavs, Bucks, and Celtics have been. Um, but I just really want to shout out to Leon Rose, um, GM of the Knicks, for what seemed to be a really successful little trade deadline for him. Yeah, absolutely. And when you're not you're not giving up significant draft capital to improve your roster, I mean, 
Boyan was one of those guys that I think uh, would have fit on a lot of teams. Uh, we just mentioned the Sixers getting healed. I think Boyan could have been on that team as well. A little bit bigger body, um, can do a little bit more, but offensively, you know, he's he's a he's a shot creator and he's a he also can be a catch and shoot guy. So I think that there's just some great versatility for the Knicks. I know OG recently had a had a surgery. He'll be out for a little while, and so even for stability here at the end of the season and then going into the season having some of that chemistry to be able to put you know an offensive player like him out or maybe it's you know yeah having having you know your your OG or Alec Burks you know kind of more defensive you know type out there um to put, you know the Josh Hart's and DiVincenzo's and so forth I, I think there's some some ways to kind of maneuver and honestly the playoffs especially for uh uh road games you end up with um, players who, you know, just kind of have kind of kind of have some difficulty, you know, just hitting those shots consistently. And I feel like Boyan's one of those guys who has hit consistent shots, you know, when he was with the Jazz and so forth, where he's been kind of a, a consistent shot creator over the last number of years. I was I mean, he's he's averaged 18 to 20 points, you know, for like five, six years straight. So you're, you're talking about a pretty you know, kind of bona fide score in the league. Yeah. And I think if you're the Knicks, I think it's a reasonable kind of goal to be like, they should win their first round series. Obviously it depends on who they match up with, but I think, you know, if they're going to fight to keep themselves in the upper half of the East here, I think it's a realistic goal. They need to win their first round series and then they need to make a really competitive um, second round series for this season to really meet expectations, especially with the the kind of moves they've made bringing in OG. I mean, they, they sent out, you know, IQ in the trade for OG, and then they sent out much love fan favorite uh, Quentin Grimes, um, who is a really key bench player for them in the Boyan uh, trade. And so I think, you know, if you're the Knicks here, it's like, yeah, I know this year is really much Boston's year. And if it's not going to be Boston's year, it's going to be, you know, Dame and the Bucks's year with Giannis. Um, but I think if you're the Knicks here, it's it's reasonable to expect, you know, taking the Bucks or the Celtics to five, maybe even six games in the second round. Um, anything beyond that um, would be, you know, icing on the cake here, but kind of putting themselves in a position this year to at least get to the second round. I think anything less of that would be a huge um, disappointment for the Knicks. Moving to the Thunder here, right? Kind of the the darling team, right? We've praised the Thunder so much and Sam Presti so much for the rebuild, but Sam Presti has been simultaneously pulling off a contender and a rebuild at the same time, Quinn. Like this is the stuff mm. people say can't happen, but like, They've still got a sizable trove of draft assets and they simultaneously are contending every week for a number one seed in the West. Like Sam Presti, like how is that possible at the same time? But he's done it. I mean, talk about moving from the Gordon Hayward or the Russell, Russell Westbrook days um, to now just crazy. But like I just mentioned, Gordon Hayward was who they just brought in this week. Um, to the Thunder here. And I think this is so perfect, Quinn, here. You got a bunch of young guys who are winning a bunch. Bring in somebody who knows what it's like to be in the NBA, who has a good amount of playoff experience um, in his young days in the Jazz, for instance. I'm um, a guy who can contribute offensively, defensively, who's still got plenty of juice left in his career, it seems. He's not the same person he was from before that tragic opening night injury. Um, but the Thunder bring in a veteran presence and upgrade their offense with Gordon Hayward here to pair alongside you know, I think MVP conversation, um, SGA, Shea Gilchrist-Alexander, um, as well as the other supporting cast there with Chet Holmgren, 
um, and all the other guys, Jalen Wilson and all those. So Thunder really making moves, I guess, to show that they're not going to wait for three or four more years to try to start winning here. When you bring in somebody as old as Gordon Hayward, the expectation is like, hey, why can't we win now? Yeah, I love bringing in, you know, kind of, you know, the guys that can can be the veteran presence, the adult in the room, but also, you know, Hayward's the kind of guy where you have to, you have to, um, you know, make sure that you're looking at him as the player that he is at this this point of his career. We're going to get to this a little bit later on when we talk about, you know, this date in NBA history, but I think there comes a point where, you know, you kind of view somebody from an earlier point in their career and you're just like, oh, that's that's who we're getting. That's not who the Thunder are getting. The Thunder are getting uh, not 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 a guy who's going to be one of their top five best players. He's going to be, um, whether he's in the second unit or whether he's a part of the starting unit, he's, he's going to be a core piece. He's going to have a lot of playing time. He's going to be a really important piece. Um, same thing with, you know, just kind of offensive creation that we've been talking about with Boyan, with Buddy, like, I think there's a theme here, you know, as we're, as we're thinking through this, I, I think that's really valuable, but even just the, the steadiness, um, you know, he, he's seen a lot, he's been through a lot. Um, I think that'll be really good for a young team. Yeah, agreed. Really happy just to see the Thunder succeed. I remember, you know, in, in the, in a different era, you know, just being so excited about the KD Russell Westbrook pairing, Serge Ibaka, um, you know, James Harden before they shipped him out to Houston. It was just a really exciting Thunder team. And, and you know, OKC basically got, you know, a, a new franchise the city did, and they were really good. And they have sat through some really rough years. You know, you think about the recent, semi-recent, you know, failed Carmelo Anthony experiment. Um, and then they brought in Paul George, and that was just not anything close to good. And so to see them to go from that very low point of, you know, like we're, we're talking about, you know, over relying on, on veteran leadership of people who were good in previous days to now see them with like legit exciting young talent in, you know, Josh Giddy still been playing really good um, as awkward as this season has been for him and SGA and Chet and all them. And so I think, you know, the thunder, the age group of the thunder is so beautiful because it's like the guys that are probably going to stuff the thunder in the playoffs, like Katie, Bradley Beal. Um, you know, you think of the Lakers, potentially Steph Curry, all these guys in three or four years are going to be at very different much points in their careers. And so I feel like the Thunder is in such a great position to rule the West for a long time. And what's amazing is that they're every week competing for the number one seed. So shout out to OKC, shout out to Sam Presti, shout out to the Thunder. Um, this isn't really super notable, but I just thought it was entertaining is for the second time in two years, this week, the Nets shipped out Spencer Didwitty, <laughs> which is just <laughs> wild. He was on their team for five years from 2016 to 2021, and then they shipped him out in 2022 to go try to see if he could team up with Luca. That was a failed experience after one. He got shipped out. Then he winded back up eventually on the Nets again, and they swapped him out for Dennis Schroeder, um, which is just fascinating. So he um, is headed to Canada, but he's already been waived. And so he's going to be looking to join a contender. Ironically, I was reading today something that he's considering the Lakers and the Mavs. It would just be too funny for him to do this funny um, carousel between the Nets and the Mavs again and again and again. But I, I, I do. I love I love Spencer, honestly. Like, I, have you seen him like take over games? There's plenty of proof out there of Spencer Didwitty taking over games. And so I hope he finds himself to a contender because I think he really does have a lot to offer them. 
going to the Bucks. The Bucks decided to swap backup point guards with the 76ers, which I thought this was a really interesting trade. And what makes this significant is this was the only trade from the trade deadline that wasn't reported reported by Shams or Woj. It was reported by Pat, Pat Bev's podcast Twitter account. He <laughs> reported his own trade and he broke the news. And so the Bucks decided they need someone with better defense because they keep losing these games they should be winning. And it's because their defense is trash now that they've let Holiday go, as we've already discussed. And so they decided to bring in this is the theme of the episode today, well past his prime, Patrick Beverly, <laughs> to help them. And so they sent campaign, and I think a second round pick or something, to the Sixers, clearly demonstrating the value, the, the focus of this trade was to get Pat Bev to come up to Wisconsin. Um, and so I think it's going to be interesting to see if Pat Bev's scrappy defensive presence here can make up for some of, of Dame's weaknesses. All right, I'm going to ask you for, for a quick question. Uh, what team comes to mind? What jersey? When you think of Patrick Beverly, like what jersey is he wearing? No, that's the whole point. It's what jersey is he not wearing, Quinn? It's when he t- <laughs> <laughs> it's when he took off the Timberwolves jersey yeah, when they exactly, beat the, exactly. the Clippers. That's what comes to mind. I think of him in a Timberwolves jersey, but he was with Houston for four years, the Clippers for four years. But then you look at the last three, four years, and it's been you know it, since twenty twenty one, Clippers, Minnesota, Lakers. Chicago, Philly, Milwaukee. Like, it's crazy. Um, it's like the sisterhood I, of the traveling pants, like the brotherhood of the traveling exactly, Pat Bev. Exactly. Who knows? Maybe Grant Williams will join him on this carousel. Uh, sounds like after 50 games, uh, Dallas was out on him. I think Patrick Beverly has kind of a similar flavor where there's just kind of a, a you know, a, an overconfidence and attitude. And it works for a time. It motivates you for a time. Uh, but it does wear on you. So we'll see how long uh, that works out for for him and Milwaukee. I know. I think it's incredible that people like Dylan Brooks and Patrick Beverly can, I feel like, add like hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars onto their value as a player purely by their annoying (laughs) attitude. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's it's unrelated to their skill on the court, like their shooting percentage, their handles. Like there's a whole category for upping your value on a contract purely because people know that you will get inside the heads of people. And I think what I like about Draymond Green is he combines that what I think with his a lot of actual talent and and athleticism that he has exercised. And so I want to give him respect where respect to do. But people like Dylan Brooks and Pat Bev, I feel like, have just sometimes doubled their value financially as a player purely yep. off like this show of of agitation and i just want to put respect on these two gentlemen for making dough where most people wouldn't think you could make dough let's move to this week in nba history quinn it's been a minute since we've done this and i looked up what some things have happened in nba history this week and saw a trade that i remember being frustrated at at the time and so figured we should touch on it and that was on february 6th in 2008 so a hot minute ago the Suns acquired Shaquille O'Neal. But the problem with that line is we're talking about 2008. Um, the Phoenix Suns brought in Shaquille O'Neal because they were in a win-now mode because Steve Nash was getting towards the end of his prime. And so you can kind of recap this whole situation as the Suns didn't realize that Shaq's time to shine had set. Um, and that's about as dad jokey as I can get out there. 
Um, but yeah, so Shaq went to the Suns for a glorious season and a half. They brought him in the first season at All-Star break at the trade deadline. He finished out that season with them, and they brought him back for one more season. Um, and it was just an absolute dumpster fire. Mostly, I think, because they sent Sean Marion to the heat for this. I mean, he had anchored them at the four position, at the forward position for the last you know couple years in their deep playoff runs. And they shipped him out to bring in Shaq, who had, you know, won, you know, was that two years ago, a ring with the Heat. Um, but they brought Shaq in and they ended up getting bounced in the first round, their first season with them, and then they missed the playoffs with them the second season. Um, and I just mourn this situation, Quinn, because it just feels like Steve Nash deserved better help. Kind of like we talk about Luca deserves better help. I feel like Steve Nash deserved better help to win a ring. I agree. I also, though, think that, you know, the uh, the other, you know, the other teams that came after kind of prove how you could convince yourself that, that Shaq was, you know, going to be a value add because, you know, uh, LeBron's team did that, right? Trying to keep him in Cleveland. Um, Boston, when they had that one team with like Rashid Wallace and Shaquille O'Neal. Disaster. Like, these guys should not be wearing green Boston Celtics jerseys. This is weird. Um so, I mean, he definitely, you know, it, it's hard It's hard to evaluate somebody, though, right? Like, because two years before, he'd won a ring. Three years before, he'd been top three in MVP voting. Like, you know, like he, you know, you could still see glimpses of it. You could still see some of that dominance. Um, maybe it wasn't a night in and night out thing. Maybe it wasn't across the whole season, but you could still see some some of it. And, hey, if he stays healthy and, hey, if Steve stays healthy then like what could this look like and you know yeah I, I think the the that you know uh, Mike D'Antoni Suns team is one of the um one of the teams in NBA history at least in in recent decades that I I most you know wish could have been more successful I wish that you could have seen those guys um, bring it together. I mean, you look at some of that, those roster constructions when they had Sean Marion and Joe Johnson and Barbosa you know, Barbosa off the bench and Raja Bell and, you know, it, it, Amari and Steve Nash. And you're just like, what the heck? Like, this is, this is an insane team. And the fact that they couldn't get it done sucks for them. Yeah. It was like Mike D'Antoni's famous, like seven second offense where, they weren't Love trying it. to dig deep into the shot clock at all. And it was just, it was so much fun basketball. I remember, you know, tuning in for the playoffs every time to watch Steve Nash and the Suns. They were just really fun to watch. But um, shout out to the GM who brought in Shaq. And that was none other than Steve Kerr was the mm. GM of the Suns at the time. Um, and sadly, um, that those Suns teams in a four-year span there got bounced three of the four times by none other than Greg Pop and Tim Duncan. Um, but I think it just brings up this theme that we've now hit on three different times, Quinn, and that's NBA teams having this tendency to overvalue aging talent. Um, the story I will keep turning to on this podcast that I always think of in this is when the Orlando Magic brought in Gilbert Arenas to help us win a ring in 2010 after we had just um, went to the finals in 2009. We didn't keep the finals team together. We shipped him, shipped out Rashid uh Richard Lewis, who had, was on our starting lineup, and we brought in Grant, uh, we brought in Jason Richardson, um, who ironically also went back then in that Suns team as well. Um, and it's just this consistent trend where you see these guys, you see what they offer, like we were just talking about with Shaq, and there's an inability to embrace 
that they're never going to perform at that same level again. I think a recent example of this, and this, you know, was, is, you know, you think about the Hornets brought in um, Gordon Hayward um, from the Celtics. And I think they underestimated how much that injury had impacted him. And he was a completely different player, for instance, and that's more injury focused. Um, but yeah, I think the Suns here definitely got blindsided. Um, and they just, he, he didn't do great individually. And the team itself wasn't lifted up. Um, and, and sadly, Nash had to retire ringless, which I think is just a travesty once again. Um, but salute to the Phoenix Suns and their ill-fated attempt to bring in one of the best players ever. I mean, I'm a, I'm a born and raised Orlando Magic fan. Like, I love Shaq. Mm. I hate that he left us for the Lakers. But I still, we, we just announced that we're going to have him be our first uh, Jersey retiree. And I'm so happy about it. Um, but yeah, all those teams, Celtics, Cavs, and Suns, like, what were you doing? Briefly, let's touch on some teams around the league, Quinn, that we haven't talked about in a minute. Um, first, a team that definitely has a problem, and that's Houston, um, pun intended there. Um, they've made some huge moves in the offseason, adding in veteran talent because the kids have been running the show, like we mentioned at the start of the season. So they brought in Jeff Green, who's now like 60 years old in NBA years. They brought in Fred Van Fleet, who's on the back half of his um, prime there. They brought in Dylan Brooks, who you know is adds value in you know surprising ways like we've already mentioned before and so they brought in a lot of, of veteran talent presumably so they could turn the ship around and obviously they're better than when it was just a bunch of kids um you know and they've improved but they're sitting outside the play-in right now which is boggling when you have Imei Doka as your coach you know you've got what everyone claimed was the best player in the draft from two years ago Jabari Smith Jr. Um, who obviously hasn't lived up to the pre-draft expectations Jalen Green was supposed to be their 25-point-a-game franchise player. And then they've got Sagoon, who's, you know, him and Franz Wagner look like the two steals of the 2021 mm. draft. Mm -hmm. Sagoon's amazing. Um, and I just, you see so much talent, and you see one of the best coaches in recent history, and you're just wondering, it's like, why aren't the Rockets at least, like, above the Jazz? Like, the Jazz are in the play-in right now. Why can't the, why, why are the Rockets, like, not, not seeing more consistency? Yeah, I was I was looking at this because even um, their point differential is is pretty good. They're 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 in the positive, which you know can't be said for for my Blazers. Um, and and so they're like a, I think they're around like the eighth team in terms of point differential in the West. Um, I think even just seeing like their their home and away splits, you know, at home, you know, they're winning two thirds of their games away. They're they're losing all of them basically. <laughs> um, and I think that that typically speaks to um, the youth uh, on a roster. Now, yes, there, there are some of those key pieces um, that they brought in, but you know, there, there really are still giving, you know, Jabari Smith, Jalen Green, Shengun, like these guys opportunities that if you were really like, if you're really aiming to win every single game this season, as opposed to develop players and win as many as you can, you know, win as you do that, um, I think they'd actually be better. Um, but I think that it's the right move to make sure that those guys are getting uh, those opportunities. Cause even like I heard a rumor um, this trade deadline season about, you know, should they move off of, you know, kind of one of the younger guys like a Jalen Green, you know, maybe you build more about around, you know, kind of the the Jabari, 
and Shingun, you know, combination or something like that. And essentially what that came down to for, for him and for other players that were in a similar category is, hey, we just need to see more. Like there's still potential here. Um, you know, it's like the Jonathan Kaminga types where it's like, you know, we're, we're seeing sparks. We're seeing even extended, you know, weeks where this player is playing at a really excellent level. And man, if, if that's actually like who this player is going to become, like we can't let that go, even if we could get some good, you know, draft capital back, because who knows, you know, with, with draft picks. So I, I like what they're doing. And I think over time, you know, that coaching, that culture will kind of, you know, continue to increase the wins. The thing is, and we've mentioned this on the pod before, but their their pick is only like top four protected and it's going to the Thunder. So the fact is there's a bunch of other tanking teams that are going to get one, you know, one of those uh, top draft spots. So they're they're pretty much for sure going to lose that pick. Um, and so at this point, they just need to keep, you know, building. Yeah, it's only TBD with the Rockets. You think about like the the Thompson twins, you know, one's on the Pistons, one's with there in Houston. And they went super high, you know, top 10. Um, and that was that was a big vote of confidence. And obviously early, you know, it's still like half a season in their rookie year, of course. But, you know, they've struggled a lot um, to, you know, coming out of over overtime elite coming into the league. And so it's TBD on, you know, their effectiveness. And then you got obviously Jabari Smith Jr., who, you know, up until two hours before draft, everyone was saying like he was an easy pick over Chet Holmgren and Paul Bencaro, <laughs> you know, and that, that take is aging horribly as, you know, so far early season, Chet Holmgren and Paul Bencaro look, you know, like twice the player that Jabari Smith Jr. has looked like, which is crazy how that's aged in a short amount of time, of course. Um, but, you know, as we know, lots of players, you know, their rookie year, it isn't great. And then suddenly they, they come around. I think about Tyrese Maxey, you know, that's, that's what I think about in this kind of conversation. He had the quietest entrance into the league, the quietest rookie year. And then he is just these last couple of years, just like absolutely popped off into all-star level play. And so I think, you know, if you're the Rockets, that's your hope, you know, and in the Pistons too, with the Thompson twins, same thing with Jabari Smith Jr. You're just hoping that there isn't obviously this meteoric, you know, rise in the early part of this, the rookie year, but that doesn't mean that they might pop off second half of the season or even their sophomore year. Going to the Sacramento Kings, which I feel like is the unofficial kind of friend of the pod franchise for us, amount of love that we've given them from the summer to now. You know, we love small markets. We love small markets that see success they haven't seen in the past. And that was the Kings last year. Um, and they had a really, really competitive seven game series with the Warriors. Um, ended up losing, sadly, um, but really showed that they were the real deal. And they have, you know, kind of set themselves up to be a team where they want to contend. Um, they're not they're not satisfied with just making the playoffs here. They've struggled a lot recently. They're, they're right now a reasonable 29-21. They're the seventh seed in the West, so they're going to get a, you know, a fight in the play-in if they stay where they are. Um, and it's just interesting kind of looking at their starting lineup. They didn't make any noise, didn't do anything at the trade deadline. Um, but just kind of looking at the Kings where it's like, all right, you take the Warriors to seven games. You're obviously now trying to get out of the first round. That's your new goal. What is it going to take to have a team that like is worthy of being a top-four team, semifinal team in the West here? Um, and so just kind of looking into the Kings roster, looking into the, the, the lineup that they're throwing out here. And I think they're going to want to make some offseason moves, Quinn. So they're starting, they're still starting Keegan Murray. You know, I think he's what, two years in the league now. They're still, they're still starting Keegan Murray. Um, they played like two nights ago and, you know, he was a 20 minute starter and he posted zero points um, for them and like two rebounds, which is not what you want out of your starting forward. 
Um, and so it'd be interesting to see what kind of moves the Kings might try to make in the offseason, um, because I think it's pretty clear with the way the West is looking that this is going to, again, you know, be a year where they're either not in the playoffs or they're an easy first round exit here. And, you know, you know, Sabonis isn't getting younger. Fox is young, but they, they're committed to the Sabonis Fox pairing. And so it's like, what do they need to do in the next couple years to really get Sabonis this pairing with Fox, this chance to contend. Yeah. I mean, despite uh, Sabonis having kind of a, an MVP conversation season, um, you know, neither, neither him nor Fox were, you know, initially selected to the all-star game. And, um, and you kind of look at that and you're like, okay, well, you know, Sabonis is, is, you know, I think leading the league in rebounds. He's, he's playing much bigger than his size. Um, I think the same is true for Fox, you know, over the last couple of years where, you know, he's, he's a pretty small guard and he's pretty thin and, um, but he's fast and he's quick and he's, you know, and he's clutch and, you know, he's able to, um, you know, get hot from three and, you know, he's able to create at all three levels, you know, et cetera. And so I think for me, how I view it is I, I compare it to, you know, when the Blazers had, uh, Dame Lillard, when we had CJ McCollum, um, you know, we, we, we had excellent shot creation. We had really good, um, you know, kind of leaders on the team, um, you know, guys who were, you know, fairly good at distributing the ball. Um, but what I kept coming back to again and again was even if these guys are, are great players, um, you're always going to have the disadvantage on the from the size perspective of of just being that much smaller, uh, that much shorter, that much you know less um, less you know skillful on both ends of the court. Um, so I think Sabonis uh, kind of is disproving some of that theory, right? Because he's playing you know kind of a, above his what you would expect of somebody in his 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 body his size. Um, but I, well, kind of my, my working theory is that you're going to have to have a roster that overall in the three, four, five, six, seven best players on the team, everybody else probably has to be, you know, kind of a significantly, you know, better player, right? So like, you know, Malik, Malik Monk, great, you know, six man, but like, it's those kinds of guys that have to be playing at that, like, excellent level. And so if you're getting if you if you feel like Keegan's the guy to upgrade or whatever, like if there's a couple of those spots, the Harrison Barnes role or whatever, um, then you, you have to figure out <clears throat> how to upgrade those. But probably what other teams have already done, um, like a, a lot of the teams we're going to talk about in terms of true contenders, are, are people who have kind of mortgaged their, their future in order to get those guys, like the Nuggets trading for Aaron Gordon a few years ago or – um, you know, things like that, where it's taken, you know, the Celtics getting, you know, a Drew Holiday or a Derek White on the team, where it's like, those aren't the primary players, but because you elevated your, your fourth best position to now somebody who's really excellent and adds multiple things to the team, I, I think that's kind of what the Kings are going to have to do at some point. But here's the thing, the Kings are the Kings. So just having like a year where they're they're solid two years in a row. They're solid three years in a row. Like, that's a win. They're Sacramento Kings. Yeah, it's all good vibes in Sacramento, watching them look like they're about to lock in their, you know, second 
playoff season in a row, you know, after, you know, whatever that was 16 years straight. And so really happy for the Kings uh, would love to see more success come their way. Um, I always love that like Malik Monk will just sometimes randomly pop off the bench for like 30 or 40. Um, that's just like entertaining to me. Um, but like you mentioned, um, contending teams would love to close out the episode today with kind of asking the question, what teams would you say are like legit elite contenders, right? There's a lot of teams that have been dancing around the top of the standings, the conferences. But when you're kind of looking at hey, like, hey, these are teams that I'm confident are going to be in at the least the conference finals here. Um, what teams are that? I'll take the East. I think, you know, it's got to be it really just is two teams. It's a two team race right now in the East. And that's that's Boston, and that's that's the Bucks. I think there's just a clear division between Boston and the Bucks, and the Knicks and Cavs. Knicks and Cavs have gotten hot in the last two months, um, but both those teams, of course, the the Cavs as a unit, they haven't seen the playoffs um, and have have good playoff experience. Um, and then the Knicks, of course, haven't gotten past the second round. And last time they did get to the second round, it was you know 2021 with Julius Randle coming out of his shell. And so I feel like it's just inevitable that it's going to be Boston or the Bucks in the championship this year. And I feel like, you know, no matter how well teams like the Knicks and Cavs or even if the Heat make noise again this year, I feel like it really is just that that two-team race in the East. Yeah, and in the East, my my thought there is that the Bucks are are still just, you know, they're 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 in turmoil um trying to figure out just kind of um the coach dynamic the um how do we have these two superstars work you know how do we optimize these two superstars working together i still don't think they have that figured out they're like i think they only have four wins in their last 10 so like they still need to figure some stuff out otherwise boston could cruise i do think the knicks and i do think miami uh are the kinds of teams where they're they're very much grit and grind um and I think there's there's a lot of potential there, you know, depending on health. In the West, <clears throat> I mean, the Nuggets for sure. Um, the Clippers, surprisingly, like it's kind of crazy, um, but that's kind of an exciting one to me. Um, and then I would take the Suns as kind of a third. Um, I don't really buy uh, the Timberwolves or the Thunder. Now, I understand that the, the Timberwolves have been doing this all season. Um, they're, they're, they're tied for top in the West. They, um, they do it on, on both ends of the floor, like defensively, they, they are one of, if not the best defensive team in the league. So like, I get that, like the stats are saying the Timberwolves are legit. I just don't necessarily trust kind of that team, like that organization (laughs) over the years is, has not proven to be trustworthy when they've had great assets and when they've had you know, some good runs here or there. Um, so I just, I'm not buying it just yet. It's kind of like the uh, the Pelicans, I think it was last year, the year before, you know, we're, we're top of the West, you know, kind of 30, 40 games in. And it was like, uh, I, I don't know that that's like legit. Like, is that going to be sustained over time? And unfortunately, no. Um, and so that's where I think a couple of these teams like Thunder, Minnesota, I feel like they're a year or two away. Um, but I'd be pleasantly surprised if one of those young teams showed out. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And you know, you look at the Wolves, I think they 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 clearly showed a lot of their flaws when they were unable to get past the Grizzlies, um, even though it felt like the Grizzlies were giving them every single opportunity to beat them. Um, there was just so many of those games where the Grizzlies would go up 
um, and then just let the, the the wolves overtake them. And yeah, they'd somehow like squeak out a, a win if you go look up that series. Um, and so I think, yeah, I think for sure it, it feels like it's Boston in the East right now. But it would not surprise me if somehow the Bucks got, the Bucks got things in shape. You know, Dame comes out clutch like he loves to do. Giannis, you know, is is doing his two dribbles from half court to the 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 rim, and if you touch him and you foul him, like you can see a world with with the Bucks. Um, but yeah, it's it's feeling like it's Boston's year. I mean, that, going into the All Star break, like that's just the vibe, and it's not just because they went a long time and never lost at home. It's just the the unit that they have there, bringing in Holiday, like that just transformed the team from you know without holiday it was like oh yeah they'll probably they'll probably get to the eastern conference finals but with holiday it's like oh gosh like i fear for any team that faces them and then you know when it comes to the clippers and the suns you know they're the teams that went out and got star hunting um and i think that's great but i still think you sometimes see in that like we've talked about in the pod before there's more to a team than just having a bunch of stars the suns lose games all the time these days that they just shouldn't be losing with bradley beal devin booker and kd on the same team and so you got to give credit to the edge there to the current reigning champs um, with Jamal Murray back healthy again, um, more synergy with Jokic. And so it, it's it's feeling like a Boston Nuggets here. But, you know, if you you live in the uh, you live in South Beach, of course, they're going to tell you, you know, go ahead and count us out every year. And so I think there's just definitely some really excellent teams this year. It'd be interesting to see if teams like the Clippers, the Knicks, the Cavs, the the Wolves can keep up the recent um, excellence um, from here on out to the rest of the season here. Um, but it's it's heating up. Um, the All-Star break's coming up. I'm happy to say that Paul Bencaro was selected for an All-Star. Um, and so I think it's going to be a, a great weekend debuting some of the best talent in the NBA here. Um, Victor Wimbignan will get his debut in the Rising Stars Challenge here. Mm. Um, but we will hit you back up again after the All-Star break here and see what teams are true contenders here and what teams were just on a, a flame to start off the, the year. Thanks, guys, and we'll catch you in the next one.